Please open your Bible this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I think of many passages I don't want you to forget, 1 Thessalonians 4 is one of them. An important passage to remind us of the importance of what we're studying. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to continue this morning preaching to you what God has said about your financial duties. There are many ministers who would condemn, criticize what I'm doing, especially on a Sunday where we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. There are many who know nothing much more or beyond. Salvation is by grace. Jesus loves His elect. There's a home waiting in heaven. And we have the truth. And the Lord's church is important. Now, all those things are true. I rejoice in every one of them. But I'd much rather emphasize what God expects you to do than what God did for you. What God did for you is already an accomplished fact. But you're left here in this world not simply to know what He did for you, but to do something for Him. And my emphasis shall be in this pulpit to emphasize what you are to do for God. He has called you to sanctification. And that sanctification is what you're to be occupied with while you're here. Now, He's already sanctified you legally when Christ died on the cross. But what are you doing to sanctify yourself presently? I want to continue studying Bible economics or the study of God's ordained methods for financial success. What does God consider financial success and how do we as Christians get there are the questions we want to answer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tells us how you can please God. Look at verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul's doing some beseeching and some exhorting that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Paul is giving us instructions on how to please God. If you're a child of God and you know the truth of Je- as it is in Jesus and you've got the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you should have no greater desire than to please God. Well, First Thessalonians 4 tells you how to please God and how you can abound more and more in pleasing God. Someone will come along and say, well, God's ordained everything to His pleasure and will all please God. Well, now, if that's true, what in the world was Paul writing for? If you don't obey the Lord, you will displease the Lord. How many verses would I need to turn to to show you that the Lord was not pleased? The Lord was not pleased. So He poured out His wrath in the nation of Israel. You please the Lord by obeying what He's commanded, as verse 1 tells you. In this chapter, we have given in verse 3 the first thing you should avoid, and that's fornication. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Now, God has sanctified us according to His will when Christ died on the cross in a legal way. We stand before God perfectly holy. But there's a way in which we're to make ourselves holy here and now. You're to be holy in body by avoiding fornication. Verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother. You're to be holy socially and in a church relationship by not defrauding any of your brethren. Now, I'm going to be practical this morning. This is a practical sermon, so let's get practical. I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago about the fact that we shouldn't take our beloved brother Greg Duran for granted and take advantage of his mechanic skills by having him work on all of our cars and give up his family time for our automobiles. That's defrauding a brother if we take advantage of all his time and we don't compensate him for it or show him any consideration. That's being holy socially. Then we come down to verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. 
Again, another aspect of our social relationship, to be holy in our affections. We are to be zealously affected toward one another, to love one another, as the Lord teaches us internally. If you've got the Spirit of Christ within you, you should want to love the brethren, to be holy in your affections. But then we come to verses 11 and 12. And here is another thing that we can do to please God. And that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without and that ye may have lack of nothing. The fourth thing that Paul sets forth in 1 Thessalonians 4 by which we can sanctify ourselves is holiness in our finances. This is what you are to study to do, to be holy in your business, in working, so that you can have lack of nothing. You are to be financially well enough off to have lack of nothing that God expects from you. That doesn't mean you'll never have lack of nothing that Reverend Ike expects you to have or Robert Schuler expects you to have, that you'll have lack of nothing that God expects you to have. Holiness in finances, your duty. Now, that's pretty plain. Paul spoke of it in other places. He said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11, to be not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit. Instead of being slothful, lazy, lethargic, slow, no ambition, we're to be fervent in spirit, in our spirit, serving the Lord as good employees, as good employers, as good businessmen. God considers that part of our sanctification. And yet, how little emphasis is there placed on money matters in most churches? When was the last time you heard somebody emphasize how you handle your money? If you don't handle your money the way God wants you to, you're a stench in His nostrils. You're not holy, you're not sanctifying yourself, and you're not pleasing God, and you're not doing His will. These things need to be taught. Paul taught them, and I'll teach them. Now, we covered a lot last Sunday morning and Sunday evening, which I'm not going to review completely. The one thing I do want to review are the objectives of Bible economics. Remember this verse, 1 Thessalonians 4.12, says that ye ought not to have lack of anything. Well, what does God expect us to have? Let me remind you. Number one, He expects you to be off well enough financially so that you can support your ministry. A curse of churches today is that their ministers are not full-time in the ministry. God demands and has ordained His ministers to be full-time. If you aren't well enough off financially to give of some of your goods to the man who teaches you the Word of God, you're not going to have a man full-time in the ministry and the church will suffer for it. The second thing you need to have, be well enough off financially is to leave an inheritance for your children and grandchildren. In Proverbs 13.22, we read that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. If you have not saved enough, if you haven't worked hard enough to have an inheritance laid in store for your grandchildren, you are not a good man or a good woman. You say, well, that's hard. That's hard preaching. That's what God said. Paul said the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Ideally, God has not called children to set aside a savings account to take care of their parents in their old age. Ideally, those parents will have set aside something for themselves in their old age and something beyond that for their children. The Apostle Paul said children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now, that is exactly the opposite of the way I was raised every Sunday in a good Baptist church. All the emphasis was upon children setting aside a retirement fund for their parents. Now, the fact is that our parents haven't taken care of themselves in many cases, and we need to do that. There's no doubt about it. If your parents are in need, you are responsible to take care of them. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4 let children learn first to requite their parents at home. 
That means to repay them for all they've done for them. But that's when the parents are in need. If parents manage their finances properly, they wouldn't be in need. They'd be giving to the children. Third, good men will be at least as smart as ants are and lay up a savings account for when bad times come. Did you know that Solomon said there's a time to gain and there's a time to lose? Now, how do you protect yourself against the time to lose? You keep aside a little bit when, it, when it's gaining time. When you're gaining, set aside a portion of that. When it's time to lose, you can fall back on what you've set aside. The ants do that. And Solomon said, go to the ant, thou sluggard. Get out in your front yard. Let the neighbors laugh at you, but lay down and stick your face down in that grass and see what the ants are doing. Why, they are industrious. They're running to and fro to save up a little before winter comes so that they can eat during winter. They're not sitting around watching Monday night football, Tuesday night baseball special, Thursday night baseball, football all day, Saturday and Sunday. They're working and saving to be prepared for winter. And Solomon said, if you'd get down, you could learn something from the ants. He said it in Proverbs 6 and he said it in Proverbs 30. They lay aside something against bad times. I mean, how much can an ant get to eat if he was running around on your sidewalk in the middle of the winter? Well, down here it's not quite as bad. But in Michigan, there's a foot of snow keeping him from that sidewalk. But he's eating anyway because he's laid aside. Four, good men will have some money set aside to be able to give to those in need. I have told you about the man in Detroit with Lou Gehrig's disease. And when he was in need of a special wheelchair and van, the Detroit church came up with $14,000 in an offering to provide him what he needed. He was a poor saint that was suffering under the act of God who was in need. Are you able to contribute to something like that? If one of you came up with Lou Gehrig's disease and every Sunday you came through that door, you were weaker and you were leaning on your cane more and more because all of your muscles were losing the strength they had, would you be able to help? If you don't have anything laid in store, you wouldn't. God expects you to have something laid in store, and I'll get to that. Last of all, good men will manage their economic affairs to avoid the judgment of the church. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 tells you that the reason you can be excluded from the Lord's church is because you don't manage your finances properly. You know, when it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, "...withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly..." and not after the tradition which you received of us. What is the tradition that Paul's talking about? Is he talking about being at the assembly every Sunday morning and evening? I mean the context of 2 Thessalonians 3. No, he's talking about working with your hands diligently so that you don't have to take charity and that you're managing your financial affairs. 2 Thessalonians 3. Thessalonica had a bunch of lazy Christians who didn't know how to manage their money. Shame on us. Many times we're very often like Thessalonica, aren't we? The Lord's churches. The average Christian is a disgrace to the cause of Christ the way he manages his money. Those are your objectives. One, have enough to give to the minister. Two, an inheritance for your grandchildren and children. Three, to be able to have something laid aside against bad times. Four, to have something laid aside when a poor saint is in need. And five, to avoid the judgment of God by not having something laid aside and providing for yourself. Five reasons why you better financially be getting ahead and have something set aside. Now, what I want to begin this morning are ten rules that the Bible sets forth for financial success. Ten rules. Don't worry so much about taking notes as listening carefully and looking at the verses that we're going to look at. I'll provide you with all the notes you need at the end of this series of sermons. But listen carefully and we shall go through the rules that the Bible sets forth for your financial success. But remember one thing. Some of these rules are going to sound so simple and so trite that your wise and conceited heart will say, 
There's got to be more to it than that. But the Bible warned us that your heart will say that. Ignore what your heart says and believe God. Right now, I'm boiling everything down to the faith in this book. Do you believe what God said about financial success? Regardless of what a Rockefeller, a Nelson Bunker Hunt, or Al Lowry may say about financial success. Let's go to the Bible. Rule number one. I'm going to test your faith. Rule number one. Obey God. Obey God. Any of you saying to yourselves, well, I already knew that and I don't need to pay attention to this point and I want him to get to something exciting. Dream on. Dream on. Obeying the Lord is rule number one for financial success. My friends, if you want to get ahead financially, guess who you need on your side? The Lord who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The Lord who's given you richly all things to enjoy because if He's not on your side, guess how much you're going to have to enjoy? You say, well, I've known wicked men who had much. I said to enjoy. God can give the wicked great wealth and He does many times in judgment to lead their heart astray and to keep them blinded to a knowledge of the truth. But you want the Lord on your side if you want to get ahead. What book do you think we want to turn to first under this rule? The book of Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1. Those of you who have considered carefully Haggai, you know that the rule of Haggai for financial success is obeying God. You can try to fudge on one little commandment that God has given to you and He will overrule the other rules for financial success. You can be keeping all the other nine rules that I'll be giving you. If you mess up a little bit here, forget it. He overrules the other nine. I'll prove it. Haggai was a prophet sent to Israel after they had come back from the Babylonian captivity. They had been in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. They were back in Jerusalem. Called of God to rebuild the city and the temple. What had they done? They had built themselves nice homes and had let the temple of the Lord go to waste. They hadn't built it yet. They were just relaxing and not keeping the one thing God wanted them to do. They were offering sacrifices. Oh, they were devout religiously. They were there every Sunday. They brought their oxen, their sheep, their goats. But they hadn't built the house of the Lord. Let's begin reading. In verse 4, Haggai the prophet comes along and condemns them for their neglect of this particular commandment. Is it time for you, O ye, and he's speaking to the Israelites, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Ye have sown much. They were diligent. That's one of the rules. Working hard. We'll get to it. Rule number four, I believe it is, is working hard. They did it, didn't they? Ye have sown much. They didn't just sow a little. They sowed much. They were diligent. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. I mean, they're providing for wintertime with clothing, but no one's getting warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. There's not a verse in Scripture that applies to your lives more practically than that one, is there? Every one of you know exactly what Haggai is talking about when he says you earn wages to put it into a bag with holes in it. You earn that paycheck and you don't know where it goes, but it just runs away, doesn't it? It's like you're putting your wages into a bag with holes in it. Every one of you know what, that, what that's like. We live that from week to week, don't we? Many times. Consider your ways. Does your income, your wages, behave like a bag with holes in it? Consider your ways. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. The house is His temple. And I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. 
ye looked for much. They had good planning. They had a good financial plan. We'll sow much. We're going to take care of it. We should reap much. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man into his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. I don't care what your job is. You say, I don't work in agriculture. God can't affect me. He said, upon all the labor of your hands. I don't care if you work in a machine shop, if you're an auto mechanic. God will defeat the purpose of your labor if you don't obey Him first. Consider your ways. Your money doesn't go very far. Consider your ways. You're not making very much. Lack of promotion. A promotion should have occurred, but it just hasn't. Consider your ways. You say, well, that's a general rule that we ought to obey God. Give me a specific. I'll give you a specific. Why why don't we take something as simple as honoring your parents? And guess what? I'm talking to the adult members of the congregation, not the children. One brother I spoke with this week about this very subject. You want to be specific? I'll be specific. When was the last time you told your father or your mother how important they were to you and how thankful you are for everything they've done for you? When was the last time you honored them with some gift? Not on Mother's Day, not on Father's Day, but when you wanted to express spontaneously some honor that they deserve. You say, well, what does that have to do with success? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 sounds like this. Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. We're talking about things we should do in order for God to be on our side and bless us. Here's the first one. First commandment with promise. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. Was it well with the Israelites in Haggai's day? No. They weren't keeping everything God had told them to do. I'm just going to give you one little specific. When was the last time you told your parents, thank you, and I honor you, and you're great. You did a good job. I was the one that caused the problems. You tried your best. I'm sorry for the grief I caused you. You deserved much better. And honor them with a gift. Or in front of the other children, tell your parents how much they mean to you. I'll never be able to earn back the debt I owe mine. I just dropped him a postcard this week. Just a postcard. How much can you say on a postcard? To a mother who went through five years of hell because her son was rebellious, I can say a great deal. When was the last time you did it? Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee. You say, well, my mother didn't treat me very well. Come to me and we'll find out how well she treated you. I'll bet she did a lot for you that you're not thinking of. Or your father. They were a lot wiser than you think, thought they were when you were living at home. Most of you, if you have any intelligence and wisdom, realize they knew quite a bit now that you're out trying to do it yourself. Is that specific enough? Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28. I want to back up this fact that obeying God is rule number one. And I've given you one little specific. A rule for children. The first one with promise. Do you honor your parents? Deuteronomy 28 is a long chapter in your Bible. It's where Moses sets forth before Israel 
what they must do if they're to be blessed of God and the curses that will come if they don't do that. In verses 1 through 12, we have the blessings. Oh, there's so much. Look at verse 8. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Look at verse 11. And the Lord shall make thee plenteous in goods, in the fruit of thy body, and in the fruit of thy cattle, and in the fruit of thy ground, in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers to give thee. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his seasons, and to bless all the work of thine hand. And thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. He's speaking about financial blessings. You won't need to borrow. You're going to have so much excess you won't know what to do with it. You're going to have to put it out and lend it. You'll be receiving interest instead of paying interest. That's God's blessing upon those who will keep His commandments. But then beginning at verse 13 all the way to the end of this long chapter, God sets forth curses if they would not obey. Look at verse 15. But it shall come to pass if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all His commandments and His statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city. Cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Cursed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and cursed shalt thou be when thou goest out. The Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do until thou be destroyed and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me. And we could go on in this chapter and read more and more of the curses God would pour out financially if they wouldn't obey. God has always used economic measures to chasten His people if you don't obey. A few weeks ago, I preached to you about Gideon in the evening service. The man Gideon we find in Judges chapter 6. What was the situation that Gideon had to deal with? The Midianites came in once a year and destroyed all of the Israelite economic produce so that the Israelites were greatly impoverished. Why? They had departed from the Lord. They had departed from the Lord, so God chastened them financially. Rule number one is to obey God. Look at Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Financial rule number one is to obey the Lord. If you have something wrong in your life, if I've preached on some subject that you don't think is quite worthy of your attention, or it would require giving up too much, well, then don't be surprised if your bag has holes in it and if God blows upon everything you do and it turns to nothing or it turns to very little. Joshua 1, beginning at verse 7. The words of the Lord to Joshua. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. You want to have good success and make your way prosperous? Meditate upon the law of the Lord day and night. It's easy. For then thou shalt. It's a rule. It's a rule. You do this, God says, I'll do that for you. Look at Job chapter 36. Job chapter 36. These are the words of Elihu, the wise man, the only man that God commended in the book of Job. God condemned Job's three friends and God condemned Job himself in chapters 38 through 42. Chapter 36, Elihu is speaking in verse 11. He says, If they obey and serve him, speaking of men, they shall spend their days in prosperity 
and their years and pleasures. What's the rule? I didn't get it from Al Lowry's books. Didn't find it in Al Williams' Common Sense. It's in Job 36 and verse 11. If they obey him and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasure. Come over a few pages to Psalm 1, the first psalm. <clears throat> verse 3, this is speaking, look at verse 2. We need to get the context. Oh, we need to go back to verse 1. Let's get it all. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Is that true of you? Nor standeth in the way of sinners. True of you. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. True of you. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate once a week when the pastor opens the Bible. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he might be, he shall be, like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. You say, well, I've tried to do that and it hasn't happened. I've tried to do that and it hasn't happened. Either God is testing your faith by taking away financial prosperity for a time, or if He knows you're going to be conceited if you did get rich, He'll take it away for good. Or you've deceived yourself and you're not doing what the first three verses said. And I'd usually wager on that. It takes work. Meditate day and night in the law of the Lord. Is it that important to you or is it once a week thing? Come over to Psalm 84 and verse 11. Psalm 84, 11. When I was married, my wife gave to me a little log in which she had engraved the words Psalm 84 and verse 11. Still have it. Still believe it, and still with God helping me, practice it. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He's a sun. What's the source of all growth in this world? The sun. What is a source of protection and defense? A shield. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. Source and defense. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. That's a nice verse, isn't it? How many good things will He give? No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. You try to walk uprightly and God is going to bless you. That's a promise of His Word. That is a rule of financial success based on the Word of God. Can you think of anyone in your Bibles that were successful? How would you like to have been Joseph? Pagan nation worshipped idols Joseph was exalted to number one in the land of Egypt, but for Pharaoh, and only was Pharaoh above him when Pharaoh was in the throne. That's pretty high, wouldn't you say, for an Israelite, a herdsman that the Egyptians despised? You say, well, he didn't have the right background. He made it, didn't he? To number one. What got Joshua, what got Joseph such financial and positional success. I'll tell you why. When he was alone in a house, single, at the age of 30, and a woman tried to get him to commit adultery and had spent effort after effort after effort trying to seduce him, and finally he was alone in the house and she grabbed him and was going to physically try to force him. He fled from the house, hearing her screams of rape, rape, and realizing he was going to end up in jail. He chose jail over the gratification of an act of adultery. Now, let's get practical, men. You don't even need to be in Potiphar's house. You don't even need to have Potiphar's wife assaulting you. You've got a wicked enough heart. All you have to do is turn on the television, drive down the street and see some lady walking on the sidewalk or walk through a mall where the women don't know how to dress or behave anymore or sitting in your lazy boy chair, your imagination returns to work 
and some secretary that came through your department. And you sinned. Because Jesus said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her in his heart hath committed adultery with her already. You want to know how Joseph made it? Are you as faithful as Joseph? Compare the situations. Do you know the only thing that has kept all of you from sinning in adultery? The occasion. If you had the occasion, you would have done it. Say, well, I hope to God I wouldn't. Then you be that faithful. If you can't control your thoughts when no one's there, what if you would have been Joseph? Do you think Potiphar had an ugly wife? Let me tell you something about the Egyptian women for that. I won't tell you anything about the Egyptian women. Go read it for yourself. He was captain of the guard. He was an important man in Egypt. Are you that faithful? If you're that faithful with the Word of God and keeping His commandments, I'll tell you where you're going to end up. Someplace like where Joseph ended up. If you've let yourself slip and you can't control your affections, lusts, and desires, then don't be surprised if you remain a clerk for the rest of your life. Is that simple? It's a rule. The first rule of success. Obedience to God includes the proper attitude. Do you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Is God's kingdom and God's righteousness the number one goal in your life? Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first, not second, not in a tie for first, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. There it is. First rule. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, I've tried to do my very best with that rule. Maybe you're failing in some of the other rules, so don't give up yet. We've got to go through nine more. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and Jesus has promised He will add the good things to us once we show our faithfulness in seeking first His kingdom. Do you acknowledge God's hand behind adversity and prosperity? Ecclesiastes 7.14 God has set adversity and prosperity in the lives of men so that you can't find out anything in life but God. Ecclesiastes 7.14 Now, I tried to give you a hint last Sunday, an easy way to circumvent God taking wealth away or not giving you promotion is to grant that up front. Get on your knees and acknowledge that if you do anything, it's because God's given you the ability, the fact that you're breathing and you're going to make it to the office that day is by God's grace. And if an opportunity comes along for a new job, it is purely from the hand of God, from His perspective. And grant that. And say, Lord, if you'll grant some opportunities like that, I'll exploit them. I'll be faithful with what you give me. But grant God's hand in prosperity and adversity for the reasons and respect it. The proper attitude. The proper attitude of obeying God. Look at Psalm 37, 4. Psalm 37. Do you do this? Is this your attitude? Delight thyself also in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord. I'm not talking about just obeying the commandments from, a, from an attitude of servitude but obeying God's commandments from a basis of delight, joy, love for God. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Do you believe that? God said it. I'm just trying to read it to you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But do you have that attitude? What we've covered under rule number one, obey God and He will be on your side financially. You don't want to be like the Israelites in Haggai's day where your bag has holes in it. You want to be like Joseph, faithful under the most oppressive temptation could ever be laid out in the Word of God. When you go through a department store, are you tempted to shoplift? No. Not, I hope not. I pray... When you drive down the street, are you tempted to hotwire a car and steal a car and sell it and make a few bucks? I hope not. 
But if you were in Potiphar's house and that occurred, are you ever tempted toward another man's wife? I'm talking about the ultimate in faithfulness. There is no better example in Scripture than Joseph in Potiphar's house of faithfulness. And then to do it with the proper attitude. God will bless. Have I given you enough verses? If they obey and serve Him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and pleasure. And this is coming from God. He said it. Rule number two. Rule number two, now that we have obedience and the proper attitude out of the way, what's the first thing you want to do with income? Pay God first. Rule number one, pay God first. The first use of any income you get should be to return a portion to God. What's the number one passage for this point? I want you to know these. You will know them. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Rule number 2. Pay God first. Proverbs 3, beginning at verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. How do you get your barns filled with plenty and your presses Press, that's, a, that's, an agri, that's an agricultural means of production. The press, the wine press. How do you get it bursting out? How do you get your production maximizing your abilities? How do you realize the blessings of verse 10? By keeping the condition of verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. Every, every cent of income that comes into your hands the first thing you should do with that is give a portion to the Lord. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thy increase. Give the Lord a portion back. How many violate this rule by only giving a few bucks back to God? You walk in, oh yeah, there's the pastor's box. You dig in your pocket, what do I have today? You pull out a five and a couple ones and some change. And you say, I'll be a big spender, and here goes five dollars. You took in two hundred, five hundred, or a thousand dollars that week, and you give him five. Let me ask you something. Is that honoring the Lord with your substance? How many violate this rule? By coming to Sunday, they get you know, they get paid on Friday, and they paid their bills on Friday afternoon and went shopping on Saturday. So they look in their checkbook. What do I have left? $12.16. Took in $500 on Friday. I've got rid of $483.76. I've got $16.84 left. So you dump what you have left in the box. Is that honoring the Lord? By just giving Him what's left over, is that honoring the Lord? Is that first fruits giving just giving what's left over? Not on your life. How many violate this rule by promising that you'll give if God will bless you? How many of you have ever hit your knees? Lord, if you'll bless me and give me this promotion, help me to save more of my money, I'll give you such and such an amount. Is that first fruits? No. You purpose first. God's blessing follows. Don't try to get the cart before the horse saying, Lord, you bless me, then I'll give. What kind of giving is that? Who wouldn't? Wouldn't Pharisees do that? Wouldn't anyone in this world do that? You give first. You give first fruits of your increase. Then the Lord blesses. Be careful how you pray. How many violate this rule by giving of income after taxes? Someone sits down and says to themselves or among their family, a man and a wife sit down and they say, Wife, I believe because Abraham tithed, Isaac tithed, Jacob tithed, God commanded tithes and offerings, we'll give a tithe. We'll take 10% of whatever's left after income taxes, Social Security and the state of South Carolina and my insurance deduction. 10% of take home. Let me ask you this. Now, the percentage isn't important right yet. I'm just, th just think of the principle. 
Are you giving of the Lord of your first fruits? Or are you giving him second fruits? And you're giving Uncle Sam first. What are Sam's percentages measured on? Gross. What are God's percentages measured on according to that system? Net. God owns everything in this world. Does he deserve a portion back immediately? Especially for anyone living in this country. We have so much abundance that no one else in the world enjoys. Do we owe him a portion back? There's no question. That would have an exclamation point after that question, not a question mark. Absolutely, we owe him. Honor the, I want you to remember these two verses, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. The second rule of financial success, according to God, is to pay him first. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. Okay, what do you give? How do you give money to the Lord? Every Sunday when you walk in, you have a pastor that has had needs that week just as you have needs on a weekly basis. So, if at all possible, you give on a weekly basis to support the needs of your pastor, whoever that pastor might be. Second, you're going to have opportunities to help poor saints. And God expects you to lay money aside every Sunday also for poor saints. Look at 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Beginning at verse 1, Paul writes and says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, not the collection for the ministry, but the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. This was a general rule Paul gave to all the churches. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. This isn't ministerial giving. Church giving isn't even considered in 1 Corinthians 16. This is giving for poor saints. The first day of every week, you are to lay by you in store. You should have a segregated bank account, a piggy bank in your closet, whatever, a shoebox, a wallet under the mattress, whatever you want to use, where every Sunday you take a portion of your income and give it to the Lord for His poor saints. Right here, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. This isn't for the ministry. I mean, if you laid it by you in store, what good is it going to do the minister? I mean, there's something you give every Sunday. That's for the minister's needs, but there's something you lay in store for the time when a member has Lou Gehrig's disease and we want to provide a van and a wheelchair. You follow? You should have an amount segregated that continues to accumulate where you're able to help when there is need. Like we read the church of Jerusalem was once in need because of a famine. And so the churches of Syria sent relief to the churches of Judea by the hand of Paul. They sent famine relief, not to the rest of the world, but to the poor saints. Those are the two ways you can give. Look at Malachi chapter 3 with me. Malachi chapter 3. Have you tested God in this rule? Have you tested God? This is one of the most exciting things in life is to test God with your giving. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Oh, this is an important point. I'm going to get to it in just a minute. Notice, not in the tithe, period. In tithes, Plural. Wait till I tell you how much Israel gave. In tithes, plural, and offerings. Now, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. God commanded the tithes. Anything they gave above that was the only way they could give an offering. They're called free will offerings back in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. A tithe is not a free will offering. A tithe was commanded in the Old Testament. Will a man rob God? Yet ye've robbed me. Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You've been stingy. Ye are cursed with a curse. Can you guess what kind of curse that might be? Malachi was another prophet 
who was preaching shortly after Haggai. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house to provide for the priests and the offerings. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Have you ever challenged God to a giving contest to see who can give the most? Now, see, God doesn't expect you to give one for one with Him. He expects you to give back a percentage, that's all. The first fruits. But have you ever had a contest with God to see if you could outgive Him? See, God here is saying, try me. Try me. It's like the neighborhood boy saying, I dare you. I dare you. God is daring you to try to outgive him. If you'll bring the tithes and offering into his storehouse, he'll pour out so much, there'll not be room enough to receive it. You say, that's impossible. You're making it up. You're exaggerating. I didn't say it. The only good, what I'm reading to you right now, is the eye of faith, if you believe what God said. God said, there will not be room enough to receive it. But you've got to try him. He's challenging you to give faithfully. Oh, there's so much I wanted to say on this particular point. Come back to Genesis 26. Genesis 26. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Would you consider that a blessing? Do you know what a hundredfold looks like on a compound annual percentage rate? <laughs> it's 10,000%. That's not bad. That's not bad. Is it? Is that a decent investment return? The same year? That's good. That is a blessing. Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year an hundredfold. Well, now, what do we know about the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? They were tithers. You say, well, I've never read that Isaac was a tither. You can't read very much about Isaac's life. The Bible doesn't tell us much about Isaac. Let's just assume something based on father and son. What did father do? Abraham tithed. Why, when he met Melchizedek after recovering the goods from Sodom, he gave a tithe of all, 10%, to the king of Sodom, to Melchizedek, the priest and king of Salem. What about Jacob? We'll look at Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28. Beginning at verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, raiment to put on, my house paid off, money in the bank, and a Cadillac in the driveway. No. He said, If God will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Now Abraham tithed, Jacob tithe. What do you think we can assume about Isaac? You say, well, it's not nice to assume things in Scripture. It sure is when it matches up with the rest of the rules of financial prosperity. How do you think Isaac realized a hundredfold blessing? Because the Bible says that if you honor the Lord with thy substance, you get the Lord's blessing. Isaac was a giver. Look at these men that were tithing before Moses ever came along. The New Testament does not require a tithe. The New Testament does not teach a tithe. You'll wish it did. The New Testament does not teach or require a tithe. You can't find the word tithe in the New Testament. You can't find a tenth except where it's referring to the Old Testament. Let me tell you about Israel. Israel tithed 23 and a third percent a year. I could take you to the passages and show you that they gave a tenth for the Levites. Remember the Levites that had the care of the tabernacle had no inheritance. So the other 
twelve tribes. Remember, Joseph counted for two. His two sons were both tribes. There were thirteen tribes altogether, if you include Levi. The other twelve gave ten percent for Levi. Then they were also to take ten percent a year and go on a required vacation. That required vacation was to take place in one of the cities that God had designated for his worship to take place in. They were to convert their produce to money, travel to Jerusalem, Shiloh, or some of the other places, and there worship the Lord by eating and making merry and drinking and enjoying themselves with the fine things they wouldn't at home. That now we're up to 20%. Then every third year, there was to be a tithe taken of all the produce to help the poor in the land and to give the Levites a little extra. I can prove all three of those. That's 20% a year. Then once every third year, you're giving another tithe. So that's three and a third percent on an annual basis. That's 23 and a third percent. Now, you already spend part of that in making your way to the, Congre to the Lord's assemblies. They had to pay their way to worship with great feasts in the cities that the Lord had designated. But the Old Testament, they gave 23 and a third percent. But some of that was spent for the poor, which you're laying aside somewhere else. Some of that was for making it to the assemblies. So not all 23 and a third percent went into a box, you know, every week. Do you understand that? But overall, it was 23 and a third percent. Now, when we get to the New Testament, does God expect more or less out of us under the New Testament than the Old? Let's be fair with God. Has God given us more or less than He gave Israel? Much more. I mean, you try to read Hebrews 8 and see what Paul thought of the law of Moses. He calls it some pretty mean things. You read the book of Galatians and Paul called the law of Moses beggarly. Beggarly. It's beggarly. The new covenant are the, new, the good things to come. Those old things were but a shadow. They were nothing compared to the privileges that we have under the new covenant. Now, the Bible commands us to give liberally if we want to reap liberally. When we read there in Malachi 3 that God will open up the storehouses of heaven and pour out a blessing that we can't receive, the New Testament tells us that in order to get that blessing we can't receive is to give liberally. You will only get a liberal blessing poured out if you're putting a liberal gift in. Look at Luke with me. Look at Luke chapter 6. We're dealing with rule number two. Pay God first. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. See, God doesn't say a thing about, give me your tithes, and I'll pour out a blessing. No tithe is required in the New Testament. The New Testament is an age of grace where God doesn't tell you what to give. He simply has already poured out blessings to you and He asks you to give liberally. He that soweth liberally shall reap liberally. He that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly. Galatians. Give and it shall be given unto you. You will receive from the Lord in, to the degree and in the proportion you give to Him. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Now, I could deal with that. I think I have before told you how, what he's speaking of. A bushel basket. I mean, things were made, measured with baskets, like a bushel of wheat. To this day, even on the commodity exchanges in Chicago, we sell wheat by the bushel. You buy and trade it by hundreds of thousands of bushels, but it's still measured by the bushel. God's saying He'd level that thing off a good measure. You wouldn't get a partial bushel. You would get a full bushel. A good measure. He would then jump on it for you and press it down into the bushel basket. And if that wasn't enough, He'd shake it so there would be settling of contents may have occurred during transportation. As you read on the package of Wheaties you have on your breakfast table. He'd shake it together so that it would settle further. Shake them together and... What? He'd pour it over the sides. He'd slip and give you a little extra. Quality control wouldn't like that. The cost accountants wouldn't like that. 
but God will pour it over the edges, running over. Is that enough? If you give liberally. You say you're just pulling a verse out and using it. Our whole faith rests on this book. I have nothing to teach you but what this book says. And this book says that if you give in the way you give and the way you measure, other men are going to give to you. You wonder why your boss is hard towards you? I'll tell you why. You want men giving into your bosom? You give to the Lord. The Lord has a way of affecting men's hearts. That's what He said. Even if you are financially not in good shape, the Lord requires your giving. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm in such bad shape financially, I've got to get myself cleared out, and then I'll give. You know, the statement is, I can't afford to give. I'll tell you, you can't afford not to give. Isn't that what we've read so far? You can't afford not to give. What did Jesus say about the widow woman who walked up to the treasury and cast in her two mites all the living she had? Now, could she afford to give? No, not from a natural standpoint. She couldn't, could she? What did she do with her two mites? She cast them in and the Savior ran to her side and said, don't be imprudent in your giving. Keep those two mites. Invest them wisely. Work diligently and then you can give to me. Is that what the Savior said? Or did the Savior say this widow woman has given more than those Pharisees who were dropping their large amounts into the temple treasury? What did Jesus do when he saw the widow woman giving her last two mites? Stop her from giving? What do you think happened to the widow woman? Died penniless? With skin hanging to her bones from starvation? Not if you believe the Scriptures. She was well taken care of. You say, you're assuming that. You bet I am. On the authority of the Word of God. Amen. Is that honor? When you give your last two mites to the Lord? That's honor. Do you think her barns were filled? In some way or another? You bet. Did Jesus say that it is more blessed to give than to receive? Did Jesus say that? Did Jesus mean that? If Jesus meant that, did He know what He was talking about? How many of you have ever had a giving contest with God? That's all I'm going to say about it. It is one of the... I'll say a little bit about it. It is one of the most exciting things you can ever do. And I am speaking from my office. And if any of you have any thought in your hearts that I'm saying this for myself, Put it all in the church box. I couldn't care less where you give it as long as you're giving it to my Lord. But you have a giving contest with God sometime. Get on your knees and say, I'm going to take you. I believe that what you said in your word is true. I'm going to try you. And I believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And it is. It is. And the Lord will take care of you abundantly if you give to Him abundantly. You give to Him sparingly, He's going to be sparing in the way He treats you. Paul said of the Corinthians that he, they gave in their poverty. The Corinthians had been lax in giving in the first epistle, but by the time Paul wrote the second epistle, they were going to give. They had saved up their money and they were ready to give when Paul visited them again. And he said they gave out of their poverty. Even though they were poor, they gave anyway. Because giving comes first. When I say pay God first, that means when you get your paycheck, you should have already purposed in heart, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, an amount that you are able to give, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and you just take that right off the top, and it's not even seen. And with great delight and pleasure, give that to the Lord with a cheerful heart. And live on the rest. Don't live on your check and give the Lord the rest. That's not honoring Him and it's not first fruits. And if you want to get ahead financially, you're cheating yourself, let alone robbing God. He said to give Him of the first fruits of your increase. The minute you get that check, take it off and it's taken care of. You live on the rest. Now, if you live on the rest and give God whatever's left, 
Who's being honored? Who's being honored by getting the check first? You're honoring yourself, you proud robber. Give it to God first. And then limit your expenses to whatever's left and whatever the other nine rules might not take care of. That is what God expects. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. The two rules that we were able to cover this morning, obey God for him to fill the holes in your bag. Rule two, pay God first and your barns will be filled with plenty. He will pour out blessings on you that you cannot receive. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That is what the Word of God has to teach. I can teach it to you from the Bible and I can tell you that by experience He has done just that in my own life. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.